Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn... You know, I'm like the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clint Malarczyk. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the MLB Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I am Mark Warner with my co-host, Chris Lisa. We're coming at you live from Las Vegas to Long Island, New York. And as the last line in our intro goes, we are joined by Matt Fryer, contributor to Florida Panthers stars. Boys, good day to you, sir. Oh, well, great, howdy. Great it's great day. to be here. Yeah, we got all right, the, all uh, right. you know, Mark, if- if we were running a hockey team, uh, Matt would probably be one of our core players, you know? I would agree. I would agree. He'd be top six. Top six for sure. Well, I, I want a new contract, so, then. A new contract? I, I'll pay you. I'll tell you what. We'll give you a 50% raise over what you make now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Does that work? All right. Sign him yeah. up. Sign him up. It's not that that's not even going to change our salary cap, Chris. No, I like, it's a good move. It is. I'm I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, we got we got Matt Fryer in today. Um, we uh, we got coaching to do in Dallas. I want to get his take on on Jar Gallant and how that uh, what the Vegas Golden Knights fans can look forward to from Mr. Gallant as he takes the reins as the first head coach in franchise history. But let's start down in Dallas, I guess. Um, meet the new coach, same as the old coach, I guess the saying goes, huh? Oh, yeah. the We're, we're partying like it's 1999 here in Dallas. Great. <laughs> we're full of cliches this morning. I love it. Um, so, yeah, um, what's, uh, what's the thought process there in bringing Coach Hitchcock back after uh, – you know, a down year with Lindy Ruff, but Lindy Ruff, by all accounts, I'm going to say a top 10 coach in the National Hockey League. And when we talked earlier this season on our on our preview show, um, we talked about the changes on defense and, and what, what kind of change in philosophy and how they were going to be able to gel together earlier in the season. And, you know, that was one of the question marks for the Stars going 
then 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 injuries obviously don't. Um, so was it a mutual parting of the ways? Let's go back a little bit first to what Hitchcock can bring in his second tilt there. Um, this this was a you know everyone knew he was going to be up with his contract at the end of the season, um, and there really wasn't any movement from either side to negotiate uh, an extension on that unless I'm you know unless it was behind the scenes. Was there anything like that going on where they were trying to get a deal done and just couldn't, or was it pretty much mutually agreed that Lindy Ruff was going to be on the outs at the end of the season? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, I heard one report, and I, I can't recall now where it came from, but I heard one report that Lindy was offered an extension uh, earlier in the season, but he he turned it down because supposedly he wanted to wait and see how things turned out. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, so I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. The the sense that I got as the season progressed was that management did not blame Lindy for the team's struggles, but ownership perhaps had a different viewpoint. And in hmm. the end, the people who write the checks make the decisions. And I, I think that was right. a contributing <laughs> factor there. Okay. Okay, um well let's uh let's get into it then. Who owner ownership or management um who came down on the side of Coach Hitchcock and what were the other candidates involved? Well I I think in the end the the issue was the lack of defensive structure under Lindy. It, the philosophy was we're going to make this team a speed team. We're going to play a fast game, and we're going to outscore our mistakes. And with with the unbelievable number of injuries to the forward core to start last season and that persisted throughout much of the year, they could no longer outscore their defensive mistakes. And so they – recognized the need to go in a different direction. Um, as far as other candidates, uh, I never heard any names bandied about uh, with, uh, um, how can I put it, uh, they were never serious, uh, as far as I could tell, about anyone other than Hitch. And uh, if you want defensive structure, he's your man. So it's it's clear that that's where they're going to go from here. They're going to sacrifice some scoring, but they're going to bring down the goals against significantly, and that's how they're going to turn this thing around. No, and that's certainly what you're going to get out of a Coach Hitchcock coach team. Um, question, he, he had pretty much indicated that he wanted this year to be his last year in St. Louis. Now, is there any concern of what's left in the tank coming to Dallas and, and trying to start building something new? I, I don't think there's any concern, really. He seemed to be reinvigorated uh, by this move to Dallas. He, he said he's always loved Dallas, always loved the city, and, and wanted to come back here. And uh, Jim Neal was asked, point blank is this a one-year deal you know given hitch's previous statement and 
and Neil said it's a multi-year contract, and when Hitchcock is through coaching, he will become an advisor to Neil. So interesting. that's interesting. That's what we know about that, and I, I think he really he wants another shot at the cup. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, but he wants another shot at the cup, and I, I think with the core that's in place and with the changes he can bring, I, I think they've got a decent shot. Okay, let me throw this over to Chris now. Chris, what uh, what do you got for Matt today? Well, uh, you know, this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we have a lot of listeners in Vegas. So, Matt, tell the Vegas uh, audience and the whole NHL audience, uh, give us the lowdown. Give us uh, the positives on Gallant and why he's a good fit for Vegas, if you believe so. And I don't want to say weaknesses, but give us a couple of areas where maybe he, you think he needs to improve. All right. Well, I would say first and foremost, Gallant has been labeled a player's coach, and with good reason. I, I saw it in Florida. The players genuinely loved Gerard Gallant, and and they were very upset when he was fired. And uh, I think you're going to see the same rapport with the players in Vegas that he had in Florida. And the the difference, uh, mo- what was most noticeable for me as an observer was the morning skates and the practices. You know, back in November when I was out in Florida, I went to two games. And, and the morning skates and the practice in between, and the players were relaxed. They were they were talking, laughing. You know, at, one of them I saw the the defenseman gang up on Mark Pesic and and pick him up and dump him into one of the benches. Uh, just <laughs> it's it's that that kind of an atmosphere. And then after Gallant was fired and Tom Rowe took over the Panthers came to Dallas New Year's Eve and I was at the morning skate and it was all business you know no talking no laughing uh it was just about the hockey and and Gallant I think in his press conference uh where he was introduced by Mr. Foley and and George McPhee he said he wants it to be fun and you know he doesn't want it to be work and so I think you'll see that. As far as the style of play for Vegas, I think you're going to see a heavy defense first game. You're going to see, um, and this is as opposed to a speed game, which is what the powers that be in Florida wanted the Panthers to play. Uh, I, I noted at the time Gallant was fired that that ownership and management wanted a speed game and to play a speed game you've got to have short shifts and nine at the time Gallant was fired nine of the 34 longest average shifts in the NHL were owned by Panthers players and seven of them were forwards and Mm. so you can you can either have long shifts or you can play a speed game but you can't do both and uh, now you bring up uh, not going to say you bring up the style of play and it's the same dichotomy in, in Las Vegas. And I don't know if that's going to be a precursor to any problems coming down the, down the road, but both, both Mr. Foley and Mr. McPhee are on record saying that they're going to have a fast up tempo attacking, get the puck out, get it up, carry it through 
type offense, an exciting type offense. And even even Mr. Glant said at the press conference he's going to be a big big physical team. And it seems to be the same same kind of dichotomy that was going on prior to his dismissal in Florida. Is is what what you saw from Gallant from when he first took over? Because I know you covered Panthers for the the entire duration of his tenure there. Um, is he the kind of coach that can mold his system and his style to the players, or does he system? You know, is he a system first coach, or is he is he versatile in ability to change and adapt to his personnel as the roster you know evolves here in Las Vegas? Well, that's a great question, and and I think what we saw this year in Florida was a, a difficulty on his part in adapting to the changes in the roster. I mean, you think about uh, Eric Goodbranson being moved out uh, and Dmitry Kulikov being traded, and, and their their defense got smaller, forwards got smaller. You know, they brought in Jonathan Marchessault, who had a career year and blew everyone away. But but I think he struggled a bit to adapt to those changes, to becoming a smaller, faster team. I think he's more comfortable coaching a, a bigger, heavier team. But the, the upside to that is when you look at the players who are likely to be available in the expansion draft, I mean, I, I understand uh, McPhee and Foley wanting to play that speed game and all that, but, but the skill is not going to be there in the expansion draft. I, what I see as a logical strategy for Vegas is to go, uh, no pun intended, to go heavy on defensemen uh, to, to take, to max out on defensemen since they're going to be a lot of number four, number five blue liners available. They're going to take as many as they can get and then trade some of those guys to get uh, maybe a top six caliber forward or two uh, who guys that won't be available in the expansion draft. But for the first few years, I think, this team is going to have to rely on defense to win games. And as far as that goes, Gerard Gallant is absolutely your man. I mean, watching the Panthers' defense under Gallant leading up to this year, they're very good at boxing out opposing forwards. And and the thing that stood out for me more than any other aspect of their game was that they didn't allow rebounds. They didn't allow second chances. There was always a defenseman there to to sweep those away. So if you were going to score against the Panthers, you better beat the goalie with your first shot because you weren't going to get a second chance. And I think that will work to the Golden Knights' advantage. Hey, Matt, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I got one more for Matt, and I'm going to uh, let Mark finish it up. Uh, uh, I'll leave Mark the Panthers. So, Matt, to quote Mel Brooks, what, what in the wild world of sports is going on in Buffalo and is Jack Eichel's new nickname, the Godfather? <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, I saw something on, on, on Twitter that was allegedly uh, Coach Bilesman's parting statement. Is Is that a verified parting statement where he's talking uh, – 
when he first met Jack and walked into the locker room and Jack threw his water bottle at him and then everything that followed. And that's, is that a verified statement or was that some Twitter, Twitter troll? You know, I haven't heard that. Um, I didn't hear that either. No, I, I mean, it's clear uh, that, that Bilesman uh, had. Very disturbing if what I read in, in that is true. I, I would agree. Uh, and I, I think it's clear that Bilesma had trouble relating to the players. I think um, Tim Murray alluded to that uh, in his last press conference that he said something about uh, uh, maybe the coaches needed to stop watching video and just grab a cup of coffee and sit down and talk to the players. And uh, so that that was undoubtedly a factor there and and as far as letting both coach and GM go I I just I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall uh, and and find out exactly what went down I I don't know what Terry Pagula's thinking I I don't know where he's going to go from here all I've heard is is uh the names that have been tossed out of course Dean Lombardi and and uh Daryl Sutter have been thrown out there as possible replacements. Uh, other possible coaches I've heard, Lindy Ruff, of course. Now, uh, I don't know if Lindy Ruff wants to go back there given the current situation. It, it just seems to me to be a mess, and, and the Buffalo media says it's a mess. We, I, you know, Essentially what I've heard is I, I can't believe that they're in even worse shape than the bills. And so I, I don't know, uh, rough's a candidate. Phil Housley has been mentioned, uh, Kevin Adams and, uh, Boston university coach, David Quinn. Uh, as far as GM candidates, I've heard Chris Drury, uh, Jason Botterill and, uh, Rick Dudley. So we'll, We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But it it really it would be great reality TV. I would I would love to see that soap opera. Well, yeah. How about it? I'll tell you. Lombardi, I'll tell you. Gene Lombardi would. Uh, I mean, that would be my number one choice if I was. One hundred percent. And I'll tell you something else. If uh, if any player goes into uh, meet Daryl Sutter and throws a Gatorade bottle at him, oh, he might just get oh. punched in the mouth. <laughs> that's not going to be that's going to be it's going to stop right then and there i i could i could tell you from watching coach sutter um the last six years five years five and a half years whatever it was that's going to be done on day one that will be that will be the end of of that um and it won't just be from cutting playing time and and that kind of stuff it'll it'll be punched right in the face um that's not going to fly in a coach sutter locker room and you know what? I got to look at leadership in the locker room too. You got to kind of look at, uh, you know, who's wearing the C, who's got the A's on their sweaters and see if you need to make changes in that department as well. Because if you're the captain of the squad and you're in the room and, and you're letting, you know, allegedly what's going on in that locker room, if, if you're letting it happen, um, you're part of the problem too. That's true. Yeah. So let's uh, might as well uh, go, move on to the Florida Panthers while we wait for Dana Lane from Dana Lane Sports. Um, 
What uh, is Miss Rose is going to be gone? Is that correct in Florida? And they have an active search underway. He he is gone as coach and as GM. They're keeping him on as uh, I believe his title now is special advisor to the general manager, who is once again Dale Talon, and uh, which I like. Uh, yeah, uh, I I would agree with that. Yes, um, I, I have the utmost respect for Dale Talon, you know, for what he built in Chicago and, and really what he's building in Florida. And uh, Talon has said that they hope to have a new coach in place before the June draft. And uh, also that he wants a coach who can relate to the younger players. And in, in that regard, the I would say the front runner right now is uh, Jim Montgomery, coach of the national champion Denver University Pioneers. And uh, Montgomery has said he's, I believe it was yesterday, he said he's got an interview with the Panthers in the next seven to ten days. So he seems to be the front runner. Uh, other names thrown out there, uh, Gordy Kinnear, who coaches Florida's farm team in Springfield, uh, and uh, Sheldon Keefe, who coaches the Toronto Marlies. And as as far as NHL-level names, of course, Lindy Ruff has been mentioned, uh, Jack Capuano. I think Chris is familiar oh. with him. Uh, Michelle Terrian. Yeah, Michelle Terrian, uh, who is apparently a South Florida resident. I didn't know that. But uh, he's already got a house there, and uh, Kirk Muller is is a, I would call a dark oh. horse candidate at this point. Not a not a fan. Not a fan of Muller, huh? No, uh, as I'm, he's a good coach, but for for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so still a lot of work to do there. Still a lot of work to do. What do you think? Uh, what do you think Florida's got to do to get back into the playoffs? They got to decide who they are, right? I think that's number uh, one. They, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, they, it was, it was a struggle all season long um, to, to move from the heavier game they played under Gallant to the speed game Roe wanted them to play, and uh, they, they fought it, and of course. They were hit by injuries, too. I think in the end, the Panthers only had two players that played all 82. Um, so that that was a factor. But but the injuries aside, I think Florida had the second lowest shooting percentage in the NHL this past season. I think 7.7%. Uh, and if I remember correctly, only Colorado was worse. And uh, so that's – they they have too much talent on that team to have a shooting percentage that low. Uh, so I think it's it's a matter of combining speed and a heavy game. You know, speed with a net front presence, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, they're they're not far away. I mean, the, this is a team that put up 103 points just a year ago. And I, I think they can rebound. They just need the right coach to put it all together. And if that coach is Jim Montgomery, uh, an interesting aspect of that hire is I have to wonder 
If he comes on board, does that mean that Henrik Borgstrom, the Panthers' first-round pick last summer who had an outstanding freshman year at Denver, does he turn pro and join the Panthers? Hmm. If he does, does that then make Nick Bugstad expendable? And uh, I've, I've heard there's a team in Vegas who could use top six centers who are hmm. not going to be available hmm. in the expansion draft. So that that's exactly. just me connecting the dots there. You know what's interesting, well, me, too, guys, uh, about these, real quick, these four teams that we've mentioned, there's a good chance that one, at least one of them is going to wind up with either Nolan Patrick or Nico Herfler because they all got, uh, you know, when you put their probabilities together for the, the draft uh, lottery this uh, next Saturday night, they could be adding a top talent like that to their team. That's true. Yeah, that, that's I, – I think everyone is waiting for the draft lottery. That's That's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, I'm going to be saying, Island, I hope the, the Knights – the Knights do not get the number one overall pick in this draft. <laughs> I heard I, it's I uh, wanna, Islanders I, one, Islanders one, Knights two, and Kings three. That's what I heard the order. Oh, <laughs> I, you know what? I'd go with that because I I don't want to weather the tweet storm of fix, fix. They're just trying to get Vegas. I don't even want to endure that. So if if they can just pick number three where they're slotted in. Um, That'll that'll be just fine with me. I don't think the difference between who you can get at a one right now and who you can get at a three is as as much of a difference as it has been in the past couple of years. Where I, I will you know, say this. Obvi- obviously, I will say this. Go ahead. I will say this, sir. Uh, I agree with you in terms of one and two. I don't think there is a huge difference. But and there's nothing. This is not a slap on the the player who winds up going third. But there is a difference between after the top two, and then who goes three, four, and five. So you uh, uh, you really want to win the lottery with one of the first two ping pong balls. I'll tell you what, I can make the argument that no matter where they draw, they should trade out of it and move down for for just sheer volume of picks. I don't think either of the top two this year are going to be. Um, well, they're not generational players, and I'm not even convinced that they're going to be franchise players. Uh, we've seen Patrick uh, with a proclivities to injuries. I don't know how that holds up to an NHL season. Um, I, I could say if you well, out of down to the fifth spot and pick up. Let me wait. Let me wet your wet you guys' appetite. Uh, Nolan Patrick has been compared to. Jonathan Taze and Nico Hischler has been compared to Pavel Biore. Pretty well, who, who would want oh, either of those guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the Pavel Biore of the Canucks, not the Rangers. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but he could be the, the Pavel Biore of the Rangers. Well, I mean. I'm sorry. Say that again. Just picked up. I got Dana. He has a little bit of business that went a little longer. Good. Thank you for 
Thank you for taking the time to come in with us. And all the rest of the Panthers. Um, we will talk to you now. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Thanks, man. All right. Make sure everybody follows Big Tech's 1926 on Twitter for all of his Florida Panthers and Dallas Stars contributions on the hockeywriters.com as well. Keep an eye out for the book he's writing. Um, I want to that real quick, but I, we did run out of time. Dana, good day to you, sir. My deepest apologies. <laughs> I you think if you would start a conversation at eleven fifteen Pacific Pacific time, you'd be able to get off of it at eleven forty five Pacific time, but uh, not the case. So I apologize, and uh, I would be happy to smash as much information I can into as little time as I probably have. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have to combine you into our next segment because I got Rob Sarias, um at Oil Drop on Twitter. Um, he's he's right now on the line. I'm going to bring him in, and we'll talk uh, some Edmonton Oilers San Jose Sharks series. So far, uh, so far it's going the Oilers' way, and I, I want to get your take on that, and then we'll just uh, – I guess we'll just free-wing it from there. Rob, how you – how you doing today, Rob? Good guys. How are you? Oh, we're doing real good. We're doing real good. Let's uh let's jump right into the to the Shark Edmonton series. I've got Dana Lane from Dana Lane Sports. He's also the play by play voice of UNLV Rebel Hockey and SBRpicks.com. And host Vegas Hockey Hotline on the AM radio fourteen hundred here in Las Vegas. Um, he knows quite a bit about the whole Vegas game, and he's one of the best prognosticators for hockey that there is in Las Vegas. So, uh, what's? Let me start with Rob here. Um, what's what's the key point that uh, that gives Edmonton the three-two lead going into tonight's game? Oh well, to be honest with you, it's been a complete team effort. Uh, right across the board. There was a whitewash in that game four, which, in all honesty, it is what it is. Uh, people like to make more yep. of those things than they are, but they really, it really is no different than losing a game one nothing. You know, it can be, depending on the situation, but I'd say uh, if I were to put a percentage on it, probably 80 to 90% of the time, it's almost a better way to lose because it's that kick in the behind that sometimes teams need. Um, for the fact the Oilers are up 3-2 and for McDavid to have as few points as he has um, says a couple of things uh, about the Oilers, that they're playing a complete team game and B, that the Sharks you know, aren't what they once were. No, to me, to me it looks like um, Edmonton's winning most of the 50-50 bucks. I think their, their, their speed is Dealing to the Sharks, what the Sharks did to the rest of the Western Conference through last year's playoffs, they look they look like they've aged and become a tired team um, throughout the course of the season, and it may not be. I mean, this series could be over if not for Martin Jones. Can am I wrong in that? Well, to to a degree, I'd agree with you, but then on the flip side, you could argue that the Jones ill-timed. Uh, bad goals he let out, let up in the first few games, arguably cost him a game or two, right? So Jones has been, a, it's been weird because he's been like I agree with you, he's been rock solid, but uh, the the ill-timed softy goal has cost him a couple of games. 
Um, last game, though, let's not kid ourselves, from about the midway point of the third period on, the ice was as tilted as you're going to see, and it was just a matter of time before the Oilers scored or San Jose capitalized on a blunder, right? Uh, but but San Jose still, you know, I we agree they're not where they once were even a year ago, but there's still enough veteran savvy and skill on that team that they're in every game. Um, and if they get a chance and the power play's clicking, you know, they can win. And the thing is for the Oilers, this is all new outside of a couple of guys, right? And I said before the series started, again, there's nothing you could do, but it's kind of played out exactly as I expected because the Oilers, you know, game one went as expected. Um, the only thing that was kind of different was they came out to such a great start and then kind of blew the lead. But starting at home for young teams is very, very difficult. Um, you just don't know what you're getting into, right? And I think they got that in the second half of game one. And outside of that, they've been pretty solid, like I said, outside of the hiccup in four. But you just you kind of dismiss that for, for just being one of those nights and you let it go. It, yeah. For sure. Let me bring in Dana. And we talked last week. This was one of the series that we thought was going to be one of the more interesting series um, in in the first round. And it really has played out that way. It's been been a fun series to watch. Um, Dana, let me first. Uh, what's what's going from the Vegas line on uh, on tonight's game? What are we what are we what are we looking at there? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, we're going to lean towards Edmonton to close this series out tonight, and. You know, I try not to get too, you know, after the 7 nothing game, we, you know, kind of sat back and said, okay, let, let's see how this team responds. And obviously they responded well. Um, I, I think there was, a, there was a point, you know, where you just kind of throw these games away and you don't put too much emphasis on, you know, wh- wh- you know whether, like you said, it's one nothing or it's 7 nothing. You know, this is a team that has won 15 of 19, 6 of 8 versus San Jose. And now they're playing on one day's rest, which really goes into their uh, wheelhouse as they won 20 of 27 uh, with one day's rest. And, you know, honestly, uh, you know, going into the postseason, San Jose not only didn't play well, didn't play well against Western Conference teams. I thought Edmonton rebounded very well from the the big defeat. And uh, obviously I, I, I just, you know, you look at that third period, and even if you want to go middle of the third period, uh, onto overtime. I thought that's the turning point, not only for that game, but for that series. And for that reason, I think Edmonton does close them out tonight. I never really got the feeling that San Jose was in control. And, and if you kind of look into the mindset of both of these teams, which is really where I like to go uh, when you're handicapping games, uh, mentally, Edmonton is, is probably in a much better spot than San Jose is, even though they don't have the veterans that the Sharks do. So, so what was the what was the opening on tonight's game, uh, and has the line changed at all? Yeah, Edmonton is uh, San Jose's getting the majority of the money, and that uh, would make sense considering they're at home. Uh, but uh, Edmonton, you're getting them at plus a dollar twenty to dollar twenty five shot for a lot of these lines because they're all over the place, especially if you play offshore. Uh, I even see a plus one thirty. So you're able to get some good buyback with uh, with the Oilers if you're going to back them tonight. But you know it's it's not anything abnormal. There's a home team, they uh, a home team with a bunch of veterans, uh, regardless if they're facing elimination or not. It, yeah, facing elimination. So that you figure that's the way the betting is going to go. But I just think Edmonton's the better of the two teams, and honestly, I think Edmonton's going to represent the West in the Stanley Cup. 
wow, really? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we talked big, about big that. Big state, I mean, well, hey, look, uh, it was a bigger statement before Chicago got eliminated. That's a big roadblock <laughs> out of the way for the Edmonton Oilers. So now Chicago got eliminated, and maybe Nashville takes their spot. But now, you know, at least mentally, now that Chicago's out of there, uh, that that's even a clearer path as far as I'm concerned. Well, let me let me throw this right back to Rob. Can you be being in depth with the the Oilers the way you are? Um, what do you think? Can the can the Oilers get all the way to the Cup final? Oh, I, the way it's played out, the doors kind of open for sure. I, after I think what was it, Game Three of the Minnesota series with St. Louis and the Chicago series, it, it unfolded in, it couldn't have unfolded in a better manner for the Oilers. Uh, I think everyone expected them. If they get past San Jose, they were going to be playing Anaheim. So that's, that was always going to be another hurdle. So that's still there. Um, but the three teams that really, I feel pu- caused the Oilers the most, you know, struggle from a matchup standpoint with Chicago, Minnesota, and Nashville. And if I were to pick my uh, my choice of the three, I would take Nashville because uh, the Oilers always struggle with Minnesota. They still have struggled with Minnesota. Um, Chicago, they they've always done okay with Chicago, but I just think Chicago has that offense that would have given the Oilers a handful over the course of a series. So yeah, I I agree the. The path is there. Whether they get there or not, I don't know. Because, like I said, the experience standpoint, everything's new. It's it's very very rare you see a team that young get to the final. But something's gonna come from '97 at some point. So that's the other bonus. We haven't seen that yet. So I I don't think that uh, prediction is out to lunch or way off the board at the moment anymore. I would agree. Well, let me bring in Chris. Chris. Go ahead and jump right into the convo, sir. Yeah, Rob, great to have you on. And everybody, uh, you know, in, in addition to getting great Oilers content, uh, you should be following Rob on Twitter at oil underscore drop. Uh, go to thehockeywriters.com. Uh, Rob's a terrific writer on the Oilers, and I, he has a new book out, I believe, uh, called Connor McDavid, Hockey's Next Great One. You can get it at Amazon. Uh, so I'm sure that that's another terrific read on the, the next generational player in the league. Um, so Rob, uh, I, I got, uh, I got one for, for you for tonight's game. And then, uh, the next one I got for both you and Dana. Uh, so for tonight's game, uh, from afar, if I said to you, well, this is a young team, uh, they're inexperienced, not due to their, you know, just due to how young they are, they are and finishing off a series is not easy. And they are facing an experienced team who who know that their chances at the Stanley Cup are are dwindling. Guys like Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. So, uh, do you think that's that, that kind of the mental side of the game? How does that affect the Oilers tonight? Um, I, it, it's one of those. Uh, honestly, man, it's kind of in between. I, I had the Oilers winning in six, so this is kind of going the way I expected. Um, it won't be easy. Uh, I don't think it's going to be an easy closeout. I think you're right. They're not going to go down quietly, the Sharks. Um, that said, they're not at full strength. you got guys that are injured. They're older. Um, again, that last game, as we saw, I think it was quite obvious the younger legs were uh, taking over. 
and McClellan started finally last game to stop with the line matching a little bit, and he started to ride McDavid more, which makes it even more difficult for San Jose. And that should be, you know, from here on in, that should be the plan. Um, because if he keeps going out, if they want to play that matchup on him, the rest of them are going to wear down. And then while the Oilers haven't had a ton of secondary scoring, they have had some. So uh, I think the Oilers, the combination of coming back from 3-1 last game in the fashion they did and to win it in overtime and to get you know their lunch fed to them a game before, I think all that will play into their favor tonight. Um, so, yeah, I like the chances of them closing it out. With that said, would it shock me if we have a game seven? Not at all. But if I were, if I had my, if I were putting my money down, it would be on the Oilers tonight as well. So, Rob, and then I want you to answer this, and I'd like to get Dana's take. Uh, if they do, let's assume for a second, uh, not jinxing, you know, with the hockey gods, but the Oilers do get past the Sharks. Um, they would face the Ducks. Obviously, the you know, this isn't the Ducks' first rodeo. Uh, the, the, the core, Perry and Getzloff, and the whole crew there, uh, they seem firmly entrenched with their uh, goaltending now. Um, uh, and what I liked about them in the series against Calgary was they seemed to find, be able to find to score that key goal. And in years past, that wasn't the case. Also, the power play uh, was a bit of a difference maker as well. How do you see the Oilers matching up with the Ducks? Um, top to bottom lineup-wise, I think they're fine. Um, but where I do see issues is a couple of points you brought up there. The Ducks' power play, once it gets going, can be quite good. Um, the Oilers' penalty kill, honestly, this season has been a matter of Talbot standing on his head. Their kill hasn't been great at all at any point this season. When it's been successful, it's because he's been outstanding. Um, and anyone who's watched the Shark series sees I, I'm not one who likes to blame referees in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think that's occurred in the series. But the Sharks get, you know, more calls go their way, and that's that's not uncommon. It's Veteran teams do, no matter the sport. If you look back to the 80s Oilers, it was the same thing with them. Once they had cups in the in their back pocket, they started to get more calls, right? So the Oilers are going to have to deal with that, which is going to be a challenge. Um, I really like Gibson as a goalie, but, again, there's no, there's nothing on his resume that says he's going to be this wall or that much better than Talbot. So I think goaltending is almost a wash. So it'll come down to the best players on the team. And in my opinion, I think you're going to see McDavid, as this goes along, elevate so it'll be up to the likes of Getzloff, Perry, Reichel. Let's see what those guys can do. Um, again, I don't expect it to be an easy series. It'll be a lengthy series. Um, but I, I tend to go with the team with the best player. And uh, if both teams are playing well, and in that case, I'll go with the Oilers in a really, really tight, low-scoring um, series. That's for sure. Yeah, I over to you, me. Dana. If yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I guess for me, I mean, it's uh, what's very interesting about these series as they go from, you know, the first one to the second one is what kind of residue is left from their first series. And we, I kind of always go back to the, the Washington-Philadelphia series in the first round last year that I really thought that, you know, Philadelphia wore Washington down for Pittsburgh. And, 
you know, of course, Pittsburgh went on to win the Stanley Cup, but I didn't think that Washington brought that same level of physicality. Now, I'm very interested to see what happens in in this series if it, if it happens, because obviously, I mean, Calgary got or Anaheim got the series over pretty quick, but it was a physical series, and I'd like to see what toll that it had on on the Ducks, and I also like to see, especially if it goes to seven. You know, obviously, what toll the Ducks uh, or, or the Sharks series with Edmonton is going to take on Edmonton. So I think that game one is it is extremely telling. And I think from a handicapping standpoint, I kind of tend to stay away from game ones in the second round because I just want to see what kind of team that we have uh, now that we're going into uh, another round against a different team. But uh, as far as far as I'm concerned, I don't think Edmonton can get into a physical battle with them, and that's fine with me because I think. Anaheim will come out and try to uh, to, to wear Ant, uh, Edmonton down. They'll probably do do exactly what the what the Sharks are doing as far as trying to take away uh, take away uh, Connor McDavid, which they've been able to do so far. Um, we'll see. I, I love now that uh, some of these teams, especially with, with Edmonton, you know, we see some guys that we don't really need hear from in the regular season kind of step up so that's a big plus for them as far as depth is concerned uh but of course if if i like the edmonton Oilers to win the stanley cup obviously i like them to go through anaheim as well yeah and i really think guys the oilers would benefit greatly by starting on the road against anaheim you steal great stealing if they steal the first game there's a potential they could steal a second game and if they don't steal the first one then they can steal the second game the pressure is completely off and uh, that, yeah, that that could be a a big big thing in in their favor for sure. I I would love. Let me it. let me. Uh, I'm sorry. I would I would love ahead, to interject a little bit too. You know, most of the time for me, I if I was a coach of a team, I would want to play on the road first. There are so many advantages to starting off a playoff series on the road. You could get the first one. You could get the second one. Be happy with a split. Even if you're down two to nothing, you still have that mindset of we're going to go back home and get one and get right back into the series on on home ice. I think uh, the teams that that start on the road uh, have a huge mental advantage, and uh, the teams that start at home have to overcome that uh, that that level of confidence that sometimes almost goes through three games. I'll give you a, a really great example. If you go back to my 2012 Kings, they opened every all three series on the road right. and came home up to nothing in all three series. And at that point, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's how they got to a 10 and four or 12 and four cup run was going out on the road and winning those first two games on the road. And at the time that was a young team. And I think I agree with both of you guys that that was one of the things that, that catapulted that Kings team to the Stanley cup was, was being on the road. And they had a good road record all year, but then to elevate that into the playoffs um, round by round, you could just see that confidence grow every time they would get a road win. Um, let me let me jump over to the East real quick. And I wanted to, obviously there's parallels between the Toronto Washington series and the Edmonton Edmonton San Jose series. Um, Dan, let me start with you. How is Toronto? When when they were leaving the arena last night, Coach Babcock made it a point to tell all of the Washington Capitol staff there on the way out of the arena that they will see them in a couple of days. Um, I don't think Toronto thinks they're out of that series. What do you think? Well, I love that by Babcock, by the way. 
I, I want my coach Absolutely. To be, I want I want him just like George McPhee. You know, a lot of people we said this last week, you know, I mean he if things don't go well for the Golden Knights, uh, it's gonna fall at McPhee's feet, not necessarily Gallant, because George McPhee has said, Look, you put this all on me and I think that's kinda of what Babcock is doing as well. Let's put this all on me, take the focus off the young guys, but you have to give Toronto a bunch of credit because they, there's no other word to describe the way that they're playing except fearless. And, and they are not, uh, the, because the Washington Capitals sweaters are on the other side of the ice, they are not overcome with fear. And, you know, it's funny when, when Washington seems to get into the postseason, they don't put a lot of fear into their opponents' heart, into their hearts. Whereas I think the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, I thought they put a little fear into, into Columbus and, you know, I thought Pittsburgh, I thought Columbus was a little bit further back in the seasoning process than Toronto is, but I'm completely impressed by the way uh, the the Maple Leafs have been playing. I mean, look if you look at you know Matthews and Nylander and Hyman, I mean these are all young guys and they're only going to get better. And and regardless if this goes six games or it goes seven games, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are really setting the tone for who they're going to be as an organization for the next five to seven years. I almost think Coach Babcock is a little, maybe a little surprised at how soon, you know, the young guns were able to, to elevate to, to being a, you know, a team that could challenge the president's president's trophy winner right here in the first round and give them absolutely everything Washington wants. And when you mentioned fear, I think the fear is, is in the other sweaters in that series. I, I think that, you know, when you have the, the, the fear of failure and especially with the weight, and we talked about this last week too, the weight that the, the past disappointments continues to mount. Um, that's when you start gripping your stick a little bit tighter. You start, you know, trying to trying to be too fine in what you're doing and and maybe starting to play not to lose instead of Toronto. Like you said, they're they're laying it all out there. They're they're not playing they're playing to win. They're, they're and the difference between playing to win and playing not to lose is huge in my opinion. Rob, have you have you seen any of that in this series? Oh yeah. Like for me the I like most people pick them the caps to win in five, but I the whole series turned in game two, right? As, as impressive as game one was from the Leafs, we've all seen that before. The, that team come out in game one, uh, play a great game or a great few periods, lose it in overtime, but then they start to get stomped on. But the fact that they came out game two, gave the Caps all they could handle again, and then won in overtime, uh, from that point on, it was kind of like, okay, well, this is going to be a series. And again, I think we always, I think this is, we're all guilty of this. We all look at these best teams. I think we did it with Chicago as well. Um, and we're, we think, yes, they're the top teams. But again, this goes back to, you know, we discussed this when I was on the show before, and this goes back to the Daryl Sutter quote. This is a 3 2 league. And yes, the Leafs score <laughs> a little bit more than some of the teams, but every game for the most part is close. So because we're in one and two goal games at most, more often than not, outside of the the Oilers' blowout, games are are there. And then you got teams like the Leafs. They're so talented, like you said, and they're 
they they don't know what they're doing, right? Like they're just like, hey, let's go out right. and have fun. They're playing off and see what happens. Yep. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I, I've listened to some of the Toronto media over the last throughout the series and leading into the playoffs as well. And they said, and and you see it on the Leaf players, a lot of the media out there is like, this team doesn't let anything bother them. No matter how the the previous game went, good or bad, they forget it. And the next game is a new game. And, and that's honestly what we see on the ice. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Washington probably is gripping their sticks. Um, do I think the Caps will lose a series? Probably not. But at this stage, man, we've seen far crazier things than that. And the Leafs have enough skill on that team where they could do it. Agreed. And and one thing that's standing out to me in that series that's making a difference, um, the Leafs passing is, is and, and I know it's early in all these guys' young careers, but um, their passing is starting to remind me of that Detroit Red Wings juggernaut. And I know it's got to be Coach Babcock's influenced in how they, how they move the puck across ice and how they're able to get it through the neutral zone with the passing that that team does. They're going to be, if they're not already, a top-five passing team in the league. And I don't – I think that is what's neutralizing what Washington is doing because they're backing up at the blue line almost every time up the ice. They, they, um, there, was a, there was a penalty kill – in last night's late game that, um, or not last night's late game, the, uh, I forget which game I was even watching now. I lost my train of thought. Anyway, what they did, they, it was an, it was an amazing penalty kill. It's the best I've seen so far in the playoffs. It, every, it took until like the minute 35 mark before they got the puck past the goal line. And they would stand up at the blue line, every rush, break it up and dump it the other way. And, with with the passing that Toronto has coming through the neutral zone, they, they're they're draw passes. They're hitting the, they're hitting the open guy who's carrying it in, and then then they have cutters coming through the slot, and they're they're just on the tape so many times more than what you see out of most of the other playoff teams. And I think, like you said, I'm not counting Toronto out at all. I think they have they have the the matchup advantage in in that particular aspect of the game and. And I know I know I'm a Kings fan, and I know I'm a Golden Knights fan, but uh, this Toronto team is super fun to watch. And I got to give Coach Babcock a lot of credit for bringing up all these young kids and and turning them into a cohesive unit. As you know, they we all thought they were going to be a couple three years away, and for, to do it as fast as as that group has, um, Coach Babcock is just finding that six salary because he's done a great job with these kids. Anyway, let me get Chris back in. He's got uh, he's got a few more for both of you guys before we got to cut this short today. Chris, come on in, buddy. Yeah. So this is so we'll go Rob first and then Dana. So uh, get Dana's point of view. We'll start with uh, Rob on this question. Being up in Canada, obviously Ottawa had a tough loss last night. Um, although there are Ooh. three games to two, heading to Boston tomorrow. But uh, and Montreal had a tough loss the night before, and they're down three two. So give us the mood and the feelings about those two teams and uh, how strongly people feel that they're going to find a way to win that series. Um, well, well, real quick, Rob, that's the, uh, the hockey gods The hockey gods we were tweeting it, about last night, right, in that it, Ottawa box? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I had, I had uh, Boston and the Rangers winning both myself. But, yeah, as we were talking about yesterday – 
Boston, there's something about that Ottawa team. Uh, they find ways to win, and yet they find ways to lose games. Um, so they're, even in Canada, I think it's kind of, they're, they're the one team that everyone is kind of like, well, we really have no idea where this is going. So it could go either way. And I think no one would be surprised. When it comes to the Canadians, it, honestly, it comes down to Carey Price. That's, that's what it comes down to. And Price has been really good in the series, but I think the vast majority of people that aren't diehard Hab supporters realize it's either he has to steal games on his own or they're going to luckily bang in a couple because they don't score goals. They just don't. And Lundqvist yeah. is playing fairly well. So, And to me, the even if the goaltending isn't a complete wash, Lundqvist is playing well enough that it becomes a wash because the Canadians can't score. So, you know, would it, again, would it surprise me? It's two games. No, again, in, the, in a low-scoring league, could Price steal a couple of games? For sure. But I, I think some people were fearing, especially after the first game of the playoffs across the board that everyone was all pumped about the five Canadian teams and that, Hey, they all lost and they, they could all be gone. But with the way things are turning out, it's very plausible that the Oilers could be the only one left. Well, let me get to Dana on this because I wanted to ask you specifically uh, earlier in the show. we And I know this is the thing that we like to get into with the player safety and blah, blah, blah. We saw the, the Kadri hit on Ovechkin, and we saw the Weidman hit on Krejci. And I know what I think about both of those hits. I wanted to get your take on, and I think we're going to probably see this the same way because we usually do on this subject, which to you was the more blatantly dirty hit? And if you've heard, have player safety hearing for either one of those. Well, I watched the Kadri hit over and over again. I mean, look, I you know maybe I just don't, I'm not thinking the way I should on these things. I mean, I, I try to take away, let's not look at the name on the back because I think the name on the back kind of makes you feel one way or, or another. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't think the hit was that bad. You know, let's, I agree let's be on honest that. here. All right. Ovechkin had, what, five steps to react to this? He was staring at Kadri. You know, and I look, he went low for sure, but I just didn't think it was that big of a, you know, it, sometimes we watch these things in real time and we go, oh, what just that? Oh, what a dirty play. Because it looks horrible. But honestly, I mean, he was going in for a hip check. And because it was Kadri and it looked bad and Ovechkin laid there on the ice, we thought it was the most horrible, egregious thing we've ever seen. But I'm not, I'm not in the camp where I thought this was a dirty play. This is no more dirty than watching Drysidle take his stick and, and, and put it where the stick should not go to a guy that got no, absolutely I... nothing as far as, uh, as far as games. Okay, so what, what is worse? Padre making a big hit on Ovechkin that looked bad or Drysidle's actions, which – we're absolutely calculated and have no place in this game. I, I'm not a uh, – and look, the playoffs are a different, uh, a different animal, but I'm not too sure that if, that if the Kadri hit happened in the regular season, I'd be too upset about that as well because I, I thought that that was a clean hit with a bad reaction. A and, clean intention and I thought we with looked, a bad reaction. I thought, 
I thought I thought we would agree on that, and we do. I thought that was, as, as Brian Blessing would say, it was a hockey play. Ovechkin was coming yes. up on the on the wall with the puck. It, it was just off his stick. Kadri Kadri went to blow him up with a hip check, and if you look, Ovechkin lifts his leg to try and avoid the hit. That's right. I'm not saying That's Ovechkin. Right. I'm not saying Ovechkin. Um, change. Well, in a way, he he did change his posture to avoid the hit. And and you know, let's say ten years ago, that's just an applauded um, hip check. It, it did get a little low. Kadri did lower his hips, and there's that. But to me, the the slew foot that Weidman puts on Krejci last night is a hundred percent dirtier play. Because that's Absolutely. that was the intent to lead with the leg, contact the knee, and and I mean I can't say intent to injure, but to me, um, I I think the widening hit was 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 100% the worst play, and it surprised me that that much. I put a poll out for a minute, and it was it was overwhelmingly that Cadre's hit was the dirtier play and and what's your take on the Weidman no. Weidman hit I think that's no, worse. not at all I absolutely I mean look there are dirty there, there are dirty plays that have no part in this game there are there are uh you know plays like the the like the uh the hip check that is a hard hockey play that doesn't look good in real time but still, it's it's it is not the same thing as Kachuk taking his elbow to, to Doughty right. face. That's that's completely two separate things. So if that happened, and yes, of course the slew footing, and I don't know, maybe that's uh, you know here here send that to your buddy Marshan. But the fact of the matter, the slew footing and the spearing has no place in this game because that crosses over that line of. A physical hockey. I think what Kadri did was t- was a tough physical hockey play. That yes, you are going to get a little bit lower on a hip check because you want to. That allows you to gain momentum through a person's body. So you're going to get a little bit low on that. I'm not even sure. You know, like you said, Ovechkin changed direction. I'm not even sure that you call it a, a tripping on that. That's just that was just a product of the hit. But of course, you got the name Kadri on the back, and everybody's going to go crazy if. if is, you know, say, uh, I don't know, Patrice Bergeron level on that hit, nobody would have said anything. No, I, I thought we would see eye to eye on that. Uh, Rob, just to get it back to you for a second, uh, go ahead and continue. What, what are your thoughts on those two plays? Well, I agree with you guys. You know, they, they, they're not even, they're not even close for me. The whole sleuth Twitter, thing Twitter is, seems to have a different opinion. <laughs> Well, I couldn't yeah, believe what Twitter I was reading what, last night. I guess may, uh, but Twitter is what it something. is, that's for sure. Yeah, like, Any time that disagree with social media, I know I'm right. I feel <laughs> – there you go. There you go. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things where the, the whole slew footing thing, to me, has gotten out of hand. Like, there's so – Bergeron does it all the time. This goes back to the – preseason when Kachuk did it to Brandon Davidson in an Oilers-Flames game. We've seen it repeatedly, and not even the blatant ones. There's been a couple in the San Jose series where they've been, you know, the sneaky ones on McDavid. Oiler players have done it as well. Like, it, it's way out of hand. And to me, that's that's arguably the dirtiest play in hockey. Uh, the sleep with is getting out of hand. 
Like, because no one, you don't expect it to come and it can do so much damage. You know, luckily a lot of them, that hasn't been the case, but you can put out a guy for months for with something like that. Well, and we haven't guys heard, are getting we so haven't good heard at from it now. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, we haven't, true, right? we haven't heard from Krejci, but uh, his looked a whole lot worse than, than Ovechkin. Uh, you know, obviously Ovechkin missed the rest of the period, but, you know, with the intermission involved, he came back and, and played the rest of the game, and, and we didn't see Krejci again. So that's still up in the air on, on if he's even able to come back in that series. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, and, you know, the other thing, too, with the Kadri one, it's like you guys said, it's Ovechkin. So because it's the combination of Kadri, who's kind of a marked That's right. guy, because, you know, he does do the odd cheap thing. That necessarily wasn't one of them. And because it's Ovechkin... You know, it's funny though. I <laughs> I do find it rather humorous for when it comes to McDavid. Not so much from a, a hit standpoint, but you'll hear Oilers fans always complain about the fact not many penalties are called against him. That should be, and it's true. But that's kind of you know that's the old basketball mentality. You fo- you foul a guy a hundred times, they're only going to call so many. But I do find it odd with him that when he's hit or blown up, there's very little made. But then if something happens to, like, a Novechkin or whatever, you see, like, everyone loses it. That, oh, it's dirty, it's dirty. <laughs> so it, it, I do find it bizarre. Like, and, you know, I wish it would just be like that because what Kadri did, that's, you know, like you guys said, it was a hockey play that kind of turned into something bad, more so because of Ovechkin kind of moving in the fashion that he did. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but unfortunately it's part of the game, man. It's as big as these guys are and as fast as it's become, it's it's going to continue to happen. Yeah, leave your leave your hockey, it's the playoffs. Um yeah. Get o- get 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 over it, uh Capitals fan. I don't want to I don't want to piss off Capitals <laughs> Nation here or anything, but uh it it is the freaking NHL playoffs and as much as they want to take that part, you know, they want to take some of this out of the game. It's it's the NHL playoffs. You gotta you gotta you you gotta take it. You gotta you gotta suck it up and 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 you gotta move on. So anyway, Chris, yeah, Chris, where are you at? Yeah, no, I I I agree with you guys. I, my frustration on this subject is the constant inconsistencies that the league has shown. Yeah, but I agree with what Dana, what Dana has, has said. There, there is definitely a line, and when you look at the Krejci, you know, got uh, hurt in in that game to say the least. That there should be a suspension uh, there. But even even if some player doesn't get hurt, when it comes to spearing and things like that, I think Drysaddle got lucky. And um, yeah, um, so yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I'm we're all on the same page, I think, on this one. I thought I was going to be in the minority on this segment, but uh, I see I have some some keen hockey minds here with me this morning, <laughs> or I or uh, I just got lucky and agreed with everybody. I don't know. What else you got for us today, Chris? <laughs> yeah, last thing. So so real uh, real quick, Rob. Uh, running out of time, but real quick, um, give us a little preview about your book, Connor McDavid, Hockey's Next Great One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah, yeah. Essentially, what it is, um, it's. It, goes from the start, well, the end of his career with the Generals, right through, or the Generals, the Otters, uh, right through to about uh, okay. mid-January of this year. So the first year and a half of his career, um, my take on, you know, what things have been, it does include some of my articles that I had written for hockey writers, and then some new stuff I put into the book as well. 
Um, so, and it's been really good. It was, it's been received well. It came out online back in April 1st. It's hit stores in and around this area over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's a straight chronicling, my take on things. Uh, nothing too crazy out of the whack. It was a great, I had a great time writing it. I had the team over at Triumph Books in Chicago um, contact me to see if I wanted to do the project. I was more than willing to, and it's been, uh, it's been great. And people Fantastic, can get the book on Amazon, Congra- right? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's available for, uh, through in the states. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it uh, if you do, if you're uh, into downloading this stuff. You can get it obviously through Amazon, Amazon, Google Play stores, and up in Canada, we have it. It's hit its way into Costco's, Walmart, Indigo Chapters, a couple of the local uh, bookstores down here. I actually got a book signing tomorrow night, or not tomorrow night, uh, Monday night. So hopefully, there's no game seven. Yeah, I was about to say. Wait a minute, that could be a game seven Monday night. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, well, if there is, we're bumping it up to early, so it'll end before the Oilers game. So, and it's right in the Ice District down well, that's here, super so it'll cool. be pretty cool. Have, yeah. yeah, having having the distributions in the Costco's and the Walmart, man, that's really cool. Congratulations on that, and we we do wish you the best on on your book sales, sir. That's uh, that's fantastic. I thoroughly appreciate it, guys. And as always, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. And anytime you guys want me on, I'm more than happy. Well, we might, uh, according to Dana, we might have to do the Stanley Cup preview with you, sir. <laughs> hey, let's, hope, let's hope Dana's right. All right, all right. Well, let me let you go and finish up on a couple of the other, couple of the other series with Dana here before we run out of time. So, th- thanks again, sir. Always a pleasure talking to hockey with you, and and we'll definitely catch up with you farther down in the playoffs. Okay, take care, guys. Enjoy the hockey. Thanks. All Rob. right, all right. You too. Always good talking with Rob Three. Make sure you guys follow him at yeah. oil underscore drop for all of his Edmonton Oilers content. And uh go out and go out and get a copy of that book on Amazon dot com if you're in the States. Um obviously if you're in Canada you you're gonna see it everywhere, I guess, if he's in all the retail stores up there. That's fantastic. So let's jump into uh we haven't really talked too much about the or, or any at all about the other team is is Minnesota done, Dana? Are we looking at at St. Louis in the next round? St. Louis, Nashville. Yeah, you would have to think so. I mean, I look, I I still I I think Minnesota is probably going to make a, a little bit more of a series of this. I I mean, I have to think that because you know I thought Minnesota was just, was going to win this series. I thought Dubnik was kind of coming out of his. A uh, little bit of a mini slump, and granted, his slump coming out of that mini slump meant that you, you beat the Colorado Avalanche a couple times. But um, you know, <laughs> St. Louis. In, in look, I've seen St. Louis up close this year, and I didn't think they were that great. I, I just didn't think there was a lot of speed on that team. I still, I don't know how. Uh, even though you have a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko that obviously is your quote-unquote leader, but you know, seems to disappear in the playoffs. It just doesn't seem like the time of year where he thrives. Now, I don't know how St. Louis is going to fare going on, but I think they're kind of lucky in the, in the regard that they're playing, uh, they're playing a team in Minnesota that is just as, I don't want to say lethargic because that's, that's kind of the way, the kind of the label I put on St. Louis. And I, they look, no, but like besides Anaheim, I mean, they're probably, the hottest team coming into the playoffs, but 
Um, I just, there's nothing that jumps, you know, it's like when I watch Ottawa and Boston, there's just, there's nothing that jumps out at me that says, wow, this team, these teams can make a lot of noise. And I think Minnesota's not going to go quietly into the night, but I think eventually, you know, St. Louis will put the foot on them. But as far as moving forward, no matter who came out of the series, um, I just didn't put a lot of stock on, on them having a deep run. Right. I, I, I have been impressed with uh, with St. Louis. I wonder how much of it is the the Mikey O factor and the, we can't let our coach lose to his former team. Because um, yeah. St. Louis yeah. has tightened it, tightened it up considerably over where they were in the regular season, just as far as defense and control. I think Jake Allen's had a lot to Go, do with it. Yeah, well, well yeah, I, I was going to I was going to draw that parallel. Yeah, I was going to draw that parallel and and segue into the uh the Nashville series where I mean, if you would have told me that Pacarini was going to hold the Blackhawks to what three three goals in four games and put a 975 save percentage on there after the season that we just watched him have, actually really the last couple of seasons um I, I I think Jake Allen has has elevated his game in a similar, although not as grand of a fashion. Um, I guess let me ask let me ask Chris. Um, I don't see as much of it as I'm going to see if if Toronto does win that series. Are we in a mini rebuild period now for the Blackhawks after two consecutive first round exits and this one in a decidedly unglorious fashion where coach Q said we were never able to find that all in gear. Um, are they going to be looking yeah. to, to, you know, tweak some parts on that club? Well, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, Stan Bowman, the general manager came out today and said that the season was a complete failure. Uh, they, they didn't just lose to the Nashville Predators. They just didn't lose. You know, you could say what you will about the Minnesota series so far and the first four games, obviously the Blues have won three of them. But they've been they've, – each game is – I mean, basically every game was a 2-1 game except for the last game that Minnesota won, 2 nothing. The Blackhawks were totally dominated in every facet of the game, um, to, say, to say the least. Um, but having said that, trying to change this roster or retooling this roster – uh, is going to be a challenge for Stan Bowman. He's he's got nine players uh, under contracts. Uh, a lot of most of them kind of lengthy uh, for nearly sixty million dollars against the cap. Uh, he's going to have about sixteen or seventeen million dollars left to fill out the remaining what fifteen, fourteen players of his yeah. roster. Um, you know, so obviously, I mean, people like Taze and Kane and. And uh, you know, and Duncan and uh, Kit, uh, Keith and Seabrook and, and uh, Osa. Uh, see, yeah, they're they're uh, you know Panarin. in his late thirties. Yeah, I mean, it, it's where do they really go? Uh, you know, are they going to lose Scott Dowling to free agency? So they need to keep Corey Crawford, who well, actually, I thought played really well. I mean, that series could have really been ugly. Uh, if Crawford didn't play well, yeah. he actually played well. I thought, other than you know, you want to nitpick about Game Two, but even still, they they were, they were dominating them. So it's going to be a challenge. I, you know, to be honest with you, unless he does something bold and and move a Panarin, who he just resigned 
uh, to a two-year extension at six million per, and try to do a three-for-one kind of trade. Uh, I don't know where they really go in terms of in terms of moves, and obviously uh, with that kind of very limited cap space, I don't see them being a player in free agency. So uh, they got some kids in the pipeline, but I don't know if there's anyone that really jumps out. Obviously, they're going to be hoping that some of their younger players. I think they had players uh, who may there had their first playoff appearance that they, you know, the Hartmans of the world. Uh, they get a little, they get a little bit, bit better uh, as time goes on. But yeah, that's a, that's a tricky question. That's, that's, uh, they they definitely do not have a lot of flexibility. So it, I'm not no. sure how they how they retool if you or how do they make uh, make certain moves if you will. If uh, if anybody can figure out the cap, it's Bowman. He's been a wizard for the last ten years in keeping that team where it was, but it's almost like suddenly they're staring down the same, the same rifle barrel as the Kings are staring down with. They need, they need to make whole, not wholesale changes, but there's definitely changes that need to be made on both rosters. And they, they, they're in a position where it's going to be harder, harder than ever to get that done. Dana, what's going to, what's going to for us here as we we're getting low on time um, going into the next week, um, what series maybe in the second round is going to be something that we can keep our eye on? Uh, well, again, I mean, uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, I mean, if, if Washington, I mean, obviously the big one for me is if Washington goes ahead and finish off, finishes off Toronto, then obviously the big one for me is going to be Pittsburgh and Washington. And, you know, you could say all you want about how the, you know, it's not fair for Columbus with the way that things played out in the playoffs because I believe that, you know, if it was uh, under the old system, they would have started out, I think, with Ottawa. But to me would be the series that, you know, with Pittsburgh being my, my selection to, to represent the East, I mean, obviously this is going to be their their big hurdle. I think after that, it's just, a, you know, st- being mentally strong after that, no matter who they play. Uh, because I think that they, you know, kind of uh, put a circle around the Capitals as a team that they need to beat to get back to the finals. Um, so that probably is the series for me that is most intriguing and, and the one that, you know, you kind of circle on the calendar as a possibility before the playoffs start. But all these other series, I mean, <laughs> the potential of, uh, you know, Ottawa and the Rangers or any any combination of that, I mean, it just, it's not nearly as exciting as, as Pittsburgh and Washington. No, I agree. And even even in the West, um, you, you, depending, like you said earlier in the show, about uh, what team comes out of the series, Nashville got a big monkey off of their back from, uh, I mean, a few years ago, they blew the 3-1 lead against Chicago, if I remember correctly. Right. And how, how, do, how do they mentally reset after slaying the Dragon? Um, we saw a little bit of that last year with the the eliminated Chicago and then didn't do so well after that. Um, oh, I just came out and looked. We're at a tie 3-3 USA-Sweden game with 52 seconds left. A little breaking news update um, in the in the under-18s there. Looks like they're going to overtime in that semifinal game. So, anyway, um, if you if you were going to put a price on that, that Washington-Pittsburgh series, what do you think that's going to open up at? 
Pittsburgh minus well, I think minus twenty. No, I mean uh, Washington gets home ice advantage, so I mean they'll they'll series price will probably be, I would say probably about a dollar thirty. I think that that's fair. I think there's a enough people that you know. I mean, keep in mind you put out these series price, so you get equal action on both what they say. Uh, I think you know a lot of the novice people will look at this and say, well, you know, Pittsburgh Washington is the best team in the. Uh, had the best regular season in the league. So, I mean, they we're going to go with them. And then I think you'll have a little bit more uh, people that watch a little bit more thinking at this point in time that the Penguins are the better of the two teams. So you will get even action, I think, at $1.30. I don't think you can make it uh, $1.20 or $1.50 or $1.60 hey, Chris, in favor of Washington. Let me yeah. guys, Chris, take over for a second. My daughter's calling in on the other line. No worries. So, so Dana, so, do you think the the cap of the Capitals will be a slight favorite? Oh yeah, you'll be a slight favorite, not for sure. But you know, interesting enough, I mean, we've we've said this all all year. Um, I still can't. If it doesn't come out that way, it's not going to be a big surprise. I mean, I I think um, I've always thought that the odds makers some some of them just do not watch enough hockey. I've seen the Boston Bruins being completely overpriced uh, most of the season. I've seen them. Uh, be a favor against the Ottawa Senators, despite the fact that the Senators had home ice advantage and despite the fact that Ottawa won four games during the regular season. Yes, we know that doesn't mean anything going into the postseason most of the time, but still, from a betting perspective, you would have thought Ottawa would at least be a, a slight favorite over the Bruins. And, you know, so if it doesn't come out that way, you know, I just kind of throw my hands up. But uh, certainly if I was the price of the series, Pittsburgh, or Washington would be a slight favorite, uh, even though I like Pittsburgh in the series. That's All right, well, boys, I'm back, and I've got to run. <laughs> okay, so uh, – My daughter so, was, uh, uh, was doing something. It ended early, and it's time to go. <laughs> All right, we'll just just do a quick promotion for next week. Next week going to be a different time. It'll be on Saturday night, uh, right after the draft lottery results. I think around 8.30 East Coast time, around 5.30 Vegas Pacific time. We're going to have the great Zach Devine on uh, to get his insights on the draft in terms of the top three picks and where Vegas will know next Saturday night. Where the Vegas Golden Knights will be selecting, and what they should, and what they should be looking at, and, and what they should do, and maybe we'll get a little sharp out of him. And everyone, please keep promoting the show through social media. We've seen really good strides with that in the last few days. So uh, uh, please, everyone listening to the show, it's greatly appreciated uh, from both Mark and myself. For sure, for sure, 100%. Make sure you guys follow Dana Lane at Dana Lane NHL. Um, with that, I've got to run. We'll look forward to talking to you Saturday night. We'll know where the, where the Vegas Knights are going to pick and we'll, we'll look at, and Dana, thanks for spending the extra time with us this afternoon. Uh, I know Saturdays are busy with all the gaming action that you got to take care of. Uh, appreciate the extended service today, sir. No, not a problem. I love being on and, uh, wish you guys the best in the upcoming week and, uh, very excited to see where the Golden Knights will start their uh start their selection process off at all right well we'll talk to you then okay that's it for another great week of the vegas hockey podcast we had a lot to cover and i think we did pretty good getting it all in uh 
Chris will be in touch during the weeks, and I got to run. Yep. So for Chris, Dana, Chris, Dana, and Mark, we're gone. 